us now, and uh, as they are getting settled, again, we are in Matthew chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 1 and 2, a a message I've entitled, Tried But True, Tried But True. Please stand with me out of honor to God and His Word as I read. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when He had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, He was afterward hungry. Thank you, may be seated. Looking at a very familiar passage of Scripture, the temptation of Jesus, temptation of Christ, and uh, how it applies to us. We're going to look at that today, but there were two guys that were talking to each other uh, about their Christian walk. And one said to the other, after church last Sunday, I found a wallet full of money in the parking lot. Well, the other guy said, well, did you turn it in? The first guy said, well, not yet. I haven't decided if the wallet is a temptation from Satan or an answered prayer from God. (laughs) Let's look at tried but true. First of all, let's look at the situation. Jesus had just had an awesome experience, an awesome spiritual experience. We talked about this two weeks ago. He had just been baptized by uh, John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And baptism should be, for every believer, should be a really high point uh, in your walk with Christ where you make that decision to follow Christ and be obedient to Him in baptism. So Jesus has just had this experience. But not only that, His experience came with something that ours doesn't. Jesus had approval from the Godhead. God's Spirit came and descended upon him like a dove. And then God's Word, God spoke from heaven and said, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus has this great mountaintop experience. Okay, He's just been baptized. He's just heard from heaven and seen from heaven that he is approved of Almighty God. And now Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. He's in the wilderness for 40 days. Now, the number 40 is significant in the Bible for testing or for judgment. For example, uh, Noah's Ark rained 40 days, 40 nights. Uh, Moses on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, 40 days, 40 nights. The spies in Canaan, 40 days, 40 nights. The Israelite wandering through the wilderness, that wasn't 40 days and 40 nights. That was 40 years, but it's still the number 40. And in fact, it's really interesting when you look at the Israelite wandering and you compare that to Jesus... Because according to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 5, God called the children of Israel his son. Collectively, he said, they're my son. And so we have God's son in the wilderness for 40 years. We have God's son in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. They were both in the wilderness for periods of 40, and they were both tested. So anyway, this number 40 is significant. Noah's Ark, Moses on the mountain, the spies in Canaan, the Israelite wandering. How about the Goliath confrontation? You know the story of David and Goliath? Well, the whole time before David actually confronts Goliath, as Goliath is coming out every day to uh, belittle the Israelites, that was 40 days. And even Jonah in Nineveh. Jonah is sent to preach to Nineveh. Of course, he gets sidetracked, but eventually goes back. And here's his sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So we see this number 40 throughout the scriptures as a time of testing or of judgment. And I want you to know that Satan tempted Jesus throughout the 40 days. We're just given the climax here. We're just given uh, the, the coup de grace, if you will. This is where it all came to a head. Notice also Jesus had been fasting. Verse 2 says he had been fasting. Now, fasting is to go without something, especially food. Some of you older folks, you probably know, like I do too, before you get a blood test, you have to fast. And they'll say, you know, don't eat anything after 10 p.m. the night before, something like that. And so we understand what it is to fast. And if those of you that like to eat breakfast in the morning, do you ever look at that word breakfast? 
It's two words in English, break and fast. Because when you go to bed at night, presumably you're not going to eat until sometime the next morning. And so in the morning you're hungry because you've been fasting all night. And so you break the fast. That's why it's called breakfast. Now fasting... Wait, you just learned that? But anyway... (laughs) Why'd you think it was called breakfast? I don't care. Uh, But fasting in the Bible is always food. And it's used for mourning like mourning your sin or mourning the death of a loved one, or for seeking God's intervention and favor. Fasting is a means for us to draw closer to God. You deny the physical to concentrate on the spiritual. And rather than eat, you use that time to focus and concentrate and pray, seeking God. But here's what you all really want to know, and you're really nervous because you're already hungry right now. Do Christians have to fast? As Christians, do we have to fast? Well, Jesus assumed we would. In Matthew 6, 16, he gave us instructions. He said, and when you fast, do it like this. And he gives us instructions. He not only assumed we would, he said we would. In Luke chapter 5, verses 33 to 35, he says, you know, when the bridegroom's with you, he's talking about himself, when the bridegroom's with you, you don't fast. But when the bridegroom goes away, that's when you fast. And so Jesus assumed we would. Jesus said we would. So we have here Jesus affirming the practice without requiring the practice. Do you have to fast? No, you don't. But you should consider it when you want to get closer to God, when you really need an answer to a question or something that God is doing in your life. Fasting is one way to help you get there. The point is the situation at this point where we read in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was exhausted physically. Jesus was exhausted mentally. Jesus was exhausted spiritually. That's the situation. So secondly, let's look at the temptation. Notice when Jesus was tempted, right after an awesome spiritual experience. He's just been baptized. He's just heard the approval of the divine. This is my beloved son. He's up on the mountaintop. And he's at a point of total exhaustion. So he's at a point where he's had this awesome spiritual experience, and he's at a point of total exhaustion. That's when he's tempted. And notice who tempted Jesus. The devil did. It's very clear here. If you look in verse 1, it says he was tempted of the devil or by the devil. The devil tempted him, not God. Indeed, temptation is the devil's primary form of spiritual attack. Now, I want you to notice from verse 1 now, Jesus was led by the Spirit to the encounter. He was led by the Spirit to the temptation. It's very clear there. Then was Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Jesus was led by the Spirit to the encounter, but God did not tempt Jesus. The devil did. But it is clear that God allows temptation. He allows temptation. God does allow it, but he doesn't cause it. Look what Jesus' brother would later write in James 1.13. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. God in his sovereignty and providence uses temptation in our lives. He uses temptation to cause us to grow spiritually. He uses temptation to instruct us in the ways and knowledge of Jesus Christ. He doesn't cause the temptation. Satan does, but God allows it to help us. But the good news is that God moderates our temptations. God moderates. Look at this famous verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able. 
but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So what I'm saying is God allows temptation, but he tempers our temptations. What that means is God ensures we can handle the temptation before he ever lets it get through to us. And so something that might have been coming my way today, God realized I couldn't handle it, and so he sent it some other direction. God saw something coming your way today. He knew you couldn't handle it, and so he sends it some other direction. But you can be assured because we have this promise from God, when something gets through, when something gets to you, God has already determined you and he can handle it together. And I want you to just thank God today for everything he rejects on your behalf. You don't even know, and I don't even know, the things that God is rejecting as it's coming down the pike, these temptations, and God says, you know what? He can't handle it. You know what? She can't handle it. I'm getting rid of it. So make sure when you're thanking God for all the things you know about, for all the things you see, make sure you thank God for the stuff that never even gets to you because God has tempered our temptations. And I want you to notice how Jesus was tempted. You know, Satan only has one play in his playbook. And if you and I can learn this one play that's in his playbook, uh, we can catch him at every time when he tries to get us. And it's given to us in 1 John 2.16. Look what it says. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. This is Satan's one play in his playbook. He's going to appeal to the lust of the flesh, he's going to appeal to the lust of the eyes, and he's going to appeal to our pride. That's the only play he has in his playbook. He tried it on Adam and Eve. See if you see the pattern, Genesis 3, 6. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, there's the flesh, or the eyes and the, uh, the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desired to make one wise. There's the pride. She took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave to her husband with her, and he did eat. And so Satan has this one play in his playbook, eyes, flesh, pride. He tries it on Adam and Eve. works like a charm. And now he tries it on Jesus. He tries it on Jesus. Look at verse 8. Here's the delight to his eyes. Again, the devil takes him up to an exceeding high mountain, shows him all the kings of the world and the glories of them, appealing to his eyes. And then the flesh. Something would be good for food. Look in verse 3. And when the tempter came to him and said, If you're really the Son of God, command these stones be made into bread. So appealing to his flesh. And then lastly, his pride to make one wise. Look in verse 6. And he said unto him, If you really are the Son of God, cast yourself down. For it is written, He shall give angels charge concerning you. And in your hands uh, they shall bear you up. Let's at any time you dash your foot against a stone. So Satan says, You know what? This worked on Adam and Eve. I'm going to try it on Jesus. I only got one play in my playbook anyway. So he appeals to his eyes. He appeals to his flesh. He appeals to his pride. By the way, Satan still uses the same play today. Why? Because it's all he's got. But he still uses it today. Now, why would he use a 6,000-year-old trick? Why would you change something that's working like a charm? The only time it never worked was on Jesus. It's worked every other time. It's worked on you. It's worked on me. It's worked on all our ancestors. It'll work on our predecessors. No, whatever they are in the future. You see, even as there has been no biological evolution... There has been no spiritual evolution either. What worked on Adam and Eve 6,000 years ago still works today. The only time it didn't work was on Jesus Christ. 
But why was Jesus tempted? Well, Jesus stood in our place in the wilderness as Adam stood in our place in the garden. In fact, Jesus is called the last Adam by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 45. Adam represented the human race in the Garden of Eden. Adam had a free will. And Adam had every advantage, and yet he failed. Think about it. He was living in a literal paradise. He had only one commandment to obey. Don't eat of this tree right here. Everything else is fine. You can eat from everything else. You've got lots of trees from which you can eat. Just don't eat of that one. And he had a helper. Her name was Eve. Jesus represented us here in the wilderness. He had a free will like Adam had. Jesus had every disadvantage, and yet he succeeded. He wasn't living in paradise. He's in the wilderness. He didn't have just one law to obey. He had the entire Old Testament law to obey. Jesus had nothing to eat. And verse 2 says, and he was hungry. He was hungry. And also Jesus was all alone. He didn't have a helper. He was all alone. You know, they say a true judge of character, true judge of morality, is how you behave when you're all alone. It's real easy to come to church and look good and smell good and sound good. But when you're off by yourself and there's nobody else there, you're all alone, your true character comes out, your true morality comes out. And we see that with Jesus. He's all alone and his true character comes out, his true morality comes out, and he succeeded in defeating the temptations of Satan. And having succeeded, Jesus could later represent us on the cross. The just for the unjust, the perfect for the imperfect, the righteous for the unrighteous. We can receive God's forgiveness by grace through faith in Christ because he was successful here in Matthew chapter 4 of his temptations. You say, well, how can I be forgiven? You invite Jesus Christ in your heart believing he died on the cross to pay for your sins, that he was buried for your sins, and the third day he rose again from the dead. Because Jesus was successful here, he could be successful on the cross, and if you receive him in your heart, he'll be successful there too. The Bible goes on to say in Hebrews 4.15 that Jesus was tempted in all ways we are, yet without sin. And that's very important because look at the next passage I have there, Hebrews 2.18. That means he can help us. It says, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to help those who are tempted. He knows what it's like. He knows what we go through. He knows what it's like to have Satan come right at him with both barrels. He knows he's been there. And when you and I are there and we ask for help, he can say, I can help you. I've been there too. So I don't want to discourage you this morning, but I want you to know this. The devil will tempt you. The devil will tempt you. He'll tempt me too. And know this, that temptation is not sin. Giving in to the temptation, now that's sin. Because Jesus was tempted, so it can't be sin. And the devil will tempt you at your weakest point. Perhaps immediately following a great spiritual experience, like your baptism. Or like you were reading the scriptures and God is just showing you some amazing things. Be careful. Andy's right when he stands up at the beginning of the service. He says it, not every week, but he says, you know, there's a lot of things going on in church, a lot of good stuff happening here. And I've been talking to some of the leaders of the church, and we agree. We see good things. And I'm not just talking about numbers of people. I'm talking about people are growing the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, and people are getting their lives right with Christ. This is wonderful. But I told these same leaders, we need to beware. 
Because when everything's going great, that's where Satan wants to come in. Just like he attacked Jesus. Jesus was at this high point, this high spiritual experience. And that's when Satan came in. And so let's beware when things are going well at home. Beware when things are going well in your personal life. Beware when things are going well at church. Why? Because this is what Satan wants to get in and throw a monkey wrench and tear it up. And so just make sure, because you know there's a bunch of us here, week in and week out and through the week, there's a bunch of us here. And there's bound to be somebody here who's going to get on your nerves, okay? There's bound to be somebody. Make sure Satan is not using you to stir up trouble. Make sure Satan is not using you. Because this person irritates you, and so, you know, you get a few friends together. Can you believe he said that? Can you believe she does that? And Satan's just using you as a pawn, as a tool, to try to tear up the good stuff that God is doing here. So uh, he will tempt us at our weakest points, first of all, immediately following great spiritual experiences, and secondly, any other opportunity he finds. Look what Peter puts in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to tear you up, and he wants to tear me up, and he wants to tear this church up. That's what he wants. Let's not give him what he wants. And know this, that Satan eases up, but he never gives up the closer we get to God. He eases up, but he never gives up the closer we get to God. So we've seen the situation. We've seen the temptation. Thirdly, let's look at the repulsion. Jesus repulsed Satan. Jesus overcame Satan's temptations. Now, later on, Jesus' brother would write uh, the key to doing this. James would put it this way in James 4, 7. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And this is exactly what we see Jesus doing. He submitted himself to God, his Father. He stayed focused on the mission. The temptation was not the mission, going to the cross and coming out of the grave. That was the mission. And so Jesus stayed focused on the mission throughout uh, the temptation. And not only did he submit himself to God the Father, he resisted the devil by quoting Scripture. That's what he did. He quoted Scripture. In verse 4, look, he's quoting. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And verse uh, 7, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And in verse 10, he quotes scripture, get you hence, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so what did Jesus do? He recalled God's word. He recalled God's commandments. He didn't argue with Satan. He just stood on the word. And what happened? Jesus overcame Satan and he sent him packing. And the good news is we can overcome our temptations too. Remember, God has already determined we can handle it. But we cannot just handle it. We can overcome our temptations by following Jesus' example. Number one, by submitting ourselves to God the Father. Focusing on our high calling. What is our high calling 1 Peter 1.16 says, You be holy even as I am holy, saith the Lord. If you and I focus on holiness, living holy lives, saying holy things, doing holy things, temptation's not going to be such a problem. And we need to not only focus on our high calling, we need to focus on our mission. We have a mission to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the entire world. If you and I would focus on that, we wouldn't have time to get in trouble with temptations. And then we could resist the devil by knowing the scriptures and standing on them. So here's some practical steps to overcome 
temptation. Some practical steps to battle temptation. Number one, stay away from known sources of temptation. Now, the things that might tempt you won't tempt me. The things that tempt me won't tempt you, perhaps. And so you and I need to determine in our own lives, what are those sources of temptation? I need to avoid that. For instance, if gambling is your temptation, you need to stay away from casinos and stay out of lottery lines. If alcohol is your temptation, stay out of liquor stores and stay out of the liquor aisle at the grocery store. And if lust is your problem, please do not go to a public swimming pool. It's easy. Stay away from those areas of temptation that are a problem for you. It's simple, but you need to do it. Secondly, read and memorize Scripture to use when you need it. You know, Awana is such a, an amazing program. You say, well, it is nice because we're teaching children scriptures and then one day when they're older and you know they're faced with temptation, they can recall those scriptures. Yeah, that's important too. But I submit to you, there's people learning scriptures that are not children. It's the leaders in Awana. Whenever you hear me just throw out a scripture, not something I'm reading uh, from the Bible or from my screen, but I just throw it out. You know where I learned most of those? In Awana. You say, well, that's great. You grew up in Awana. No, I didn't. They didn't have it when I was a kid. I was an Awana leader, and I was teaching those kids verses. I don't know if they remembered them or not, but I know them. And they come in handy all the time. And so whatever you can do, you need to support the Awana program here at church. And if you've never been a leader, we invite you. I know Juana's almost over for this year, but guess what's going to happen in the fall? It's going to start up again. We would love to have your help. You can be a blessing, but I guarantee you, the blessing will be all yours. So we've seen the situation, the temptation, the repulsion. And in fourthly, I want to look at the facilitation. Look in verse 11. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Angels came. Now, they were certainly there the whole time. As I was saying in the children's message, you know, they're invisible. We can't see them. They were there the whole time, but they did not intervene during Jesus' temptation. But as soon as the temptation was over, as soon as Jesus kept uh, sent Satan packing, it says the angels came, and notice what the angels did. It says they helped him. Angels are real. And angels are sent help us. Look at the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 1.14. He says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? That word minister there is the Greek word diakon from which we get the English word deacon. And you know what our deacons are? Our deacons are servants. And so what are angels? They're servants. The angels came and the angels helped. The angels helped Jesus and the angels help us. And this is just kind of a thought I had that I think is kind of neat. Since angels are eternal, they don't die. Since angels are eternal, perhaps some of the same angels that helped Jesus are helping us today. It could be. Jesus doesn't need any help now. He's in heaven. He doesn't need any help. And so those same angels that had helped him here in Matthew chapter 4, they're still alive because they're eternal, so perhaps they're the ones helping us. Wouldn't that be neat to have one of Jesus' very angels helping you? We've all doubtless encountered angels. Every one of us has encountered angels. 
you may have a personal story. It's, it's amazing. And Billy will tell you this. Whenever you bring up this idea about angels, somebody will say, well, i got a story. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you what happened to my friend. Everybody's got a story. But most people that have encountered angels don't even realize it. They don't even realize it. And the Bible agrees with that. Look at Hebrews 13, 2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And I just want to put a plug in. I mentioned Billy Moore. Later on this month, and we didn't set a date yet, but later on this month, Sunday night, starting at 5 o'clock, prior to 5.30, excuse me, prior to church at 6.30, we're going to have an angel study. Billy Moore, one of our deacons, is going to lead that. We're going to talk about angels, and that's all fun and everything, but part of the angel, angelology is demonology. We're going to talk about the, the dark side, too. And so I just want to keep that in your mind on Sunday nights, coming up, again, we haven't set the date, but probably about three weeks from now. We're going to have this study on Sunday nights, and so you're welcome to come and learn more about angels. But just remember from what I'm saying here, they are real, and they are here to help us, the good ones, that is. But how encouraging to know that God has an unseen army of angels at the ready to help us in our time of need. Jesus, once he sent Satan packing, there was these angels that came. Again, there was an unseen army of angels at the ready to help him in his time of need. There's an unseen army of angels at the ready to help us in our time of need. How many are there? Well, I don't know. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 26 and verse 53 that he was arrested when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, when you take his words literally, that he could have called 73,000 440 angels to his help. Now, he could have called over 73,000 angels, but he didn't because he knew he needed to be arrested. He knew he needed to be tried. He knew he needed to be crucified. He knew he needed, he knew he needed to be resurrected. But if he had changed his mind, he could have just said the word and some 73,000 angels would have come to help him out. Think about this, with all that can go wrong, every day, day in and day out, do you ever wonder why most days come off without a hitch? I mean, basically, you get up in the morning, you go do what you got to do, you come home at night, you go to bed, you get up. Almost every day just goes off without a hitch. Did you ever wonder how that could be? I mean, life is inherently dangerous. <laughs> and sometimes with the choices we make, we make it even more dangerous. And yet even so, most, most days come off without a hitch. Do you know why that is? Because God is watching over us using his angels. And when bad things happen, they do and they will. When bad things happen, God didn't slip up. Neither did an angel fail to show up. But rather God has allowed this for his good purposes and for our ultimate good. Never forget Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose. So when something bad happens in your life, you have a, a fender bender, whatever, you get a bad report from the doctor, whatever the case might be, it's not because God slipped up. It's not because the angel didn't show up. But rather, God has allowed that for his good purposes and for our ultimate good. And remember, he's already determined you can handle it with him together. And so here's my conclusion. We will all face temptations. Everyone. You, me, everybody. 
You guys watching on online, I don't know which camera you're on, you're going to face temptations. And if you haven't ever had a temptation, brace yourself, it's coming. We're all going to face it. We can all overcome our temptations. And God will help us. Jesus was tempted. He overcame his temptation. Not because he's God. Because he knew what to do. He knew the devil's playbook. There's only one. Only one play in the playbook. He knew it. He submitted himself to the Father. He resisted the devil with Scripture. And he overcame. We're going to face temptations. We can overcome. God will help us. And remember, no matter what comes your way, God has already determined that you and he can handle it together. Most importantly, though, of all this, this only works if you're a child of God. This isn't available to the unbelieving world out there. It's only available to the very children of God. Those who by grace through faith have received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, believing Jesus died, was buried, and rose again from the dead. If that's not you here today, if you've not yet received Christ as Savior, you need Him. You can't even imagine how bad you need Him. Invite Him in your heart to save you, and He will. And then you have access to all His help that we've been talking about this morning. And if you are a believer in Christ, you have received Him. Temptations are coming anyway. You can overcome. And God has already determined that together you, you can be successful. He will help you. He will help me. We can send the devil packing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Jesus Christ. He represented us in the wilderness. He overcame. So we too, by grace through faith in him, can overcome. Lord, we don't like our temptations. We don't like our trials. We don't like our difficulties. But we know now they are for our good and your glory. May we always see them in that light. And may we seek to glorify you through them. Bless this time of invitation, we ask in Jesus' name.